Welcome to the Ottawa Business Journal's YouTube live broadcast of Managing a Pandemic Workforce, the Rules Employers Need to Know. I'm Michael Kern from the Ottawa Business Journal. This week marks a big milestone for COVID-19 in our city. It was about 12 months ago when the crisis first hit and public health measures meant the shuttering of businesses and forced most of us to not only live in our homes, but work in our homes. Uh, 12 months later, it's accurate to say the work world has changed. Some employees have grown accustomed to working from home. Uh, some are even working from cottages. Uh, meanwhile, the rules around temporary layoffs uh, continue to evolve as the roller coaster ride of business closures and openings uh, continues. It has never been more important for employers to understand the underlying legalities of managing a workforce in a pandemic and soon in a post-pandemic world, fingers crossed on that. We have a great guest for you uh, lined up today to dig into this issue. Before I introduce him, a few housekeeping notes. We want to make today an interactive session, and that means you can use the YouTube chat function to the right of your screen to ask questions. Uh, my my colleague from the Ottawa Business Journal, Peter Cavesi, will be watching uh, the chat function, and he'll pose your questions to today's guest in about 25 minutes. Uh, Peter will also be checking in uh, to report on some advanced polling we did before today's broadcast. So let's meet our special guest. Some of you will remember him as a football star with the Ottawa Rough Riders and other CFL teams. Some will remember him as a TSN analyst. And today we talked to him as a partner with local law firm Eamon Harnden. This is a boutique law firm that specializes in management side labor and employment law. He has been with the firm for 20 years. I was checking out his LinkedIn. It's his anniversary. Please welcome Jacques Climey. Hey, Jacques. Hey, Michael. Congratulations on that anniversary. 20 years. My goodness. Yeah, you just dated me with that. So thank you uh, <laughs> for... Uh... Letting everybody know just with that football career, TSN career, and law career, everyone can probably yeah. figure out how old I am now. But yeah, yeah. Well, I'm doing yes. the math in my own head. <laughs> so, <laughs> Thank you. Thank so you. listen, tw like 20 years in employment law—that's a long time. You have a long perspective. So, we're going to get into all sorts of details in a minute. But if if you were to to zoom out, what has been the big change because of the pandemic? Well, I, I'd say, uh, Michael, that all the lawyers in Eamon Herndon uh, have, have been experiencing this, and that is this incredible uh, broad range of experiences uh, of those employers that we work with. There are some where this pandemic has not affected them at all. And so it's just business as usual in terms of what they do and, and what they need us for. And then on the other end of the spectrum, we've got employers and clients that have just shut down because they don't uh, they can't operate in, in this environment and then everything in between. And so uh, as, as labor and employment lawyers, we are used to constantly fielding different varied uh, questions from our clients. But this has added a whole other layer of complexity and uh, and really has made us feel feel for our clients like like never before, because literally their very survival has depended on their ability to uh, overcome this latest challenge. It, it is amazing to me, Jacques, the uh, uh, the spectrum on how companies have had to react to this. There are some 
you know, I, I don't want to uh, generalize, but maybe in the high tech sector, you know, that are continuing to roll on, so on and so forth. And then you you look at these main street businesses, restaurants, cafes, and that it's a they're in a whole other uh, world. So we're going to get into all of the details, and we've organized today's uh, broadcast in three different topics. I'm going to walk our viewers through the three topics we're exploring today, and a reminder: we'll take your questions at the end of it. So topic number one. Uh, bringing employees back, keeping others away. Topic number two, what work from anywhere means for employers. And topic number three, an update on temporary layoffs fr uh, framework. So let's get down to that uh, first topic. Once again, bringing employees back to the office and and on the corollary, keeping some away. So Jacques, it, it seems to me that uh, none of us expected the pandemic uh, and its impact to go on for so long. If I think back to uh, April, May of last year, I thought, well, everyone's back in the office in September, for goodness sakes. And then I thought, well, it's not September, it's January. Uh, now, maybe I'm being optimistic by thinking they're coming back, but we'll, we'll hold that for the uh, public health officials. Uh, we can be a little bit more optimistic because of uh, vaccines, but but let's get into this uh, concept of, you know, more companies bringing some back and then some people maybe needing to keep them away. Uh, give us your sense of that, Jacques. Yeah, in terms of COVID-related questions, this this ranks up near the top in terms of what we field uh, from from our clients. And it, it's, it, it really is a, quite a dichotomy in terms of what employers have to deal with. There are many employees out there, either because they have underlying conditions, because they're older, because they have a generalized fear uh, of the of uh, of COVID, um, uh, or they, frankly, and and uh, this is just a reality. There are some employees who will take advantage of this situation to not have to work. So there are certainly cases, uh, legitimate and illegitimate, where employees don't want to come back to work and an employer needs them to come back to work. There are childcare issues, for example, that is a very common one that we see. And, and there are human rights, uh, human right code issues that uh, play into all of those scenarios. And so uh, like most of what we're going, to, we're going to be talking about here today, because we don't have a lot of time. And unfortunately, all we really have time for is to alert your, your viewers as to spot the issue. Uh, make sure that you are alive to what you ought to be looking out for. Uh, but we can't obviously cover uh, everything that could, could be happening out there. But uh, you are entitled to have your employees come into work unless there is a statutory reason, a contractual reason, um, uh, or policy reason or collective agreement reason that says you can't. And so uh, it's a minefield out there and it's about navigating that minefield. But do understand that an, an employee cannot just say, we're in the middle of a pandemic. I don't want to come to back, come back to work. You need to pay me to sit at home. That that's not how this thing works. And so we have a lot of employers who are, who are struggling with how to respond to employees in those situations and whether you unionize or not unionize these, these situations are arising. So um, there are things that employers can do. There are, uh, there are tools at your disposal to ensure that your business can continue to operate in a pandemic, despite employees for legitimate or illegitimate reasons, not wanting to come back to work. And it's important to educate yourself on what you can and can't do, because if you if you take a wrong step, frankly, you could be exposing yourself to quite a bit of liability. Um, now, uh, my, and my final advice on this is all about trusting your instincts. Because it's such a minefield, uh, the first thing you have to ask yourself is, does it make sense why my employee is saying they don't want to come in? 
doesn't make sense. And then you have to ask yourself, is it hurting my business that they're not coming in? So if it doesn't make sense and it's really hurting you, that's when it's time to reach out and get some advice to make sure that you are navigating that minefield properly and not going to expose yourself to, to some sort of a lawsuit or a claim. On the flip side of that, there are employees, many employees out there, unfortunately, who are desperate to get back to work. And yet, um, they shouldn't be at work. They either have somebody at home who has COVID or they've been exposed to it or they have symptoms. What do you can you, what can you do as an employer to force them to stay home? Now, if employees have paid sick leave, it's a fairly simple matter. I mean, most employees, if they have paid sick leave and they're and they've got a runny nose or a cough or a fever, they have no problem staying at home. But what about those employers who who don't have paid sick leave or those employees who've run out of paid sick leave? What do you do about them? And it's just really important for employers to understand that there are legislative reasons why they need to be diligent in this in this uh, in this arena. You cannot just say, uh, I know you desperately need to come into work, so let's just put a mask on and get you in here. Let's imagine a scenario. I haven't heard of it yet, but I'm sure it's going to happen where an employee uh, comes into work who has symptoms. The employer knows it that somebody else in the workplace gets COVID, brings it home, either uh, either gets really sick or dies, or gives it to somebody else in their family who gets really sick or dies. Who do you think is going to be held liable for that? The employer. And the Occupational Health and Safety Act is there to ensure that employers take these responsibilities very seriously. So there are screening tools that employers have to put in place now. There are measures that you have to uh, implement to ensure that you don't have sick employees in your workplace. It's heartbreaking to tell an employee who has to go home without pay and, and, and risk not being able to put food on their table that they can't come into work. So be creative. Advance some sick leave. Advance some vacation. Allow them to take vacation. Be creative so that you can mitigate the risks on both sides. But uh, look, I'm, I'm under no illusions. It's a very challenging situation uh, on both fronts, whether you're trying to get people to come in or you're trying to get people to stay home. Yeah, I, I think it kind of underlines, Jacques, that the employer-employee relationship has always been somewhat of a balance, right? Uh, even before the pandemic, you need to be uh, unemotional sometimes about these things. You need to uh, understand, you know, if if you're considering a request from an employee, what it could mean operationally, and, and you need to be uh, understand the legalities, and that's what we're going to continue getting into uh, right here. Listen, I'm going to bring in my colleague, uh, Peter Cavesi from uh, OBJ. Peter, as I mentioned before, you were doing some advanced uh, polling, and uh, we were just talking about this concept of employees uh, being in the office or returning. Uh, what question did you ask, and uh, what did we hear from today's viewers? Well, for our first poll question, we wanted to uh, explore the landscape that's going to be facing uh, employers as they sort through some of those uh, questions and issues that you and Jock were just uh, talking about. So we we asked um, just how keen are employees to return uh, to the office? And uh, uh, I was a bit surprised to, to see just how many uh, organizations already have their employees uh, back uh, back in the uh, in the workplace. But uh, the the most popular response uh, did sort of reinforce one of the predictions uh, that uh, that we've been hearing, which is that employees uh, are looking for that flexibility to divide their time between home and uh, and the office. Um, Jock, you, you said a moment ago that an employer can prescribe uh, an employee's uh, place of work. I'm curious though, uh, is there a way to, to, to insert some uh, compromise in there? Uh, just for example, if uh, an organization's employees overwhelmingly don't wanna be in the office five days a week, can an employer mandate, well, I'd like you to be here 40% of the time, for example? 
So an employer can mandate that their employees come into the office 100% of the time, unless there is a public health direction uh, or order that says otherwise, or else there's something in a collective agreement or in a uh, contract of employment or in a policy that says that the employee is entitled to dictate that they don't want to. Now, that's very rare. I, I mean, no, no one considered pandemics be, as before all this in, in, in the sense that you don't see clauses in collective agreements or employment agreements uh, that would contemplate this scenario. So as an employer, as I said, you need to figure out operationally what you need. If what you need is that employee in the office, unless there is a legal reason that they are not obligated to come, you are entitled to have them in. However, I really encourage employers to engage in dialogue. This is all about talking to your employees, sitting them down on Zoom, on a phone, whatever it is, in person, talk to them, figure out what works for your business and works for them. But where you can't bring those two things together, at the end of the day, it's an employment relationship. You're the employer, you pay them to work. If they have to come into the office to work, then that's what has to happen. That's a great, uh, great takeaway. Um, Mike, before I turn it back to you, I just want to remind all of our viewers that uh, we do have the uh, the chat window active uh, just below the uh, the video on YouTube. So please share any questions or uh, or comments that are coming to mind. We'll be posing those to, uh, to Jacques towards the, uh, the end of the broadcast. So Mike, back over to you. Awesome. <clears throat> uh, Jacques, we're going to move to uh, topic number two, which is a, a perfect segue. So there is this concept of uh, work from anywhere, right? We've we've whetted the appetites, introduced this notion to employees, and, and particularly we're probably talking about people from high tech or white collar, you know, maybe even people in professional services, uh, some of your colleagues. So they have this concept, I can work from anywhere. I can be on Zoom calls. I've got, you know, VPN into the office. We've got cloud servers. Um, but that's um you know that's an interesting um, addition of flexibility. But but what should employers think about from a legal perspective when uh, when we're talking about people working from anywhere? Yeah, so so I would ask people to bear in mind what I just said about uh, really working from home being essentially a privilege, it's not a right. And and I, unfortunately, I hear a lot of employees or unions taking a, a different approach to that, and and that's not the case, as I said, unless there's legal. Uh, parameters at play. Um, so uh, there are very good reasons why employers these days should be, first of all, implementing policies around working from home. What are the expectations? Let's not there, let's not have there be any surprises. Um, let's make sure everybody's on the same page about what is expected if you're working from home. Uh, but the employers should be very cognizant and aware of where their employees are. There are numerous uh, reasons, good reasons, why an employer shouldn't just be uh, closing their eyes to where their employees may be working from, how they may be uh, getting their jobs done. Um, so, so a, a few examples. Um, uh, what if the employee is working halfway around the world when you suddenly realize that you need them in the office? Something's come up, you need them in the office the next day, and you say, hey, uh, listen, uh, Barb, can you get in here tomorrow? And she says, uh, I'm working uh, out of California. I've been here for like two months. What are you going to do then? Um, what if they're in a different time zone and you've got issues in terms of uh, them being half asleep or uh, too tired because they're working in completely different time zones? Um, 
that that I've already encountered that problem. Um, what about uh, ensuring they have the proper equipment? What if they're in a place that has bad Wi-Fi? What if they don't have proper ergonomically correct chairs and, and desks and they wind up with a bad back? What are you doing to ensure that uh, their working environments are, are safe and, and appropriate? Um, the Occupational Health and Safety Act requires employers to ensure that their employees are working in healthy and safe environments. What are you doing to make sure you're compliant with that? WSIB, there are, there are rules around the in the WSIA uh, around when employees are covered. If an employee goes and suddenly is working uh, uh, in British Columbia, are they and they hurt themselves? Are they covered? Are they not? As an employer, there are rules around these things. There are regulations. You need to be aware of these things. Um, uh, huge issue is which uh, jurisdiction is going to apply. So uh, all employees, all employers in Ontario, with employees in Ontario. Uh, unless you're federally regulated, are going to be regulated by the Employment Standards Act of Ontario. Now you've got an employee working in Quebec from home or working in British Columbia or working in Colorado, wherever. Um, uh, there are circumstances and situations where uh, they could now become subject to the employment standards of the jurisdiction in which they are working. And so you have to familiarize yourself with what the Employment Standards Act of Ontario says about when it applies and when it doesn't, and how you could be at risk because they are now in another jurisdiction. Um, there are uh, payroll and tax implications if somebody is working, for example, in the U.S. for you here in Canada. And then, and I've seen it happen. There are people who have been working in other jurisdictions for months, and at a certain point, other other tax laws could could kick in. There are professional regulatory implications. So if you are uh, regulated by a certain body, you may only be regulated, for example, as a lawyer, you might be regulated by the Law Society of Ontario, and all of a sudden you've been working in, in Alberta for, for, for nine months. Are you allowed to do that? These questions have to be asked. And another big one um, is around the implications if the relationship goes badly. So unfortunately, we in the labor and employment business, when we represent employers, we are there because oftentimes that working relationship has has broken down for whatever reason. Well, when uh, those relationships break down, employees sue in the courthouse that is closest to them. That's just how it works. Why would an employee who's decided to move home to Saskatchewan to work, who is suddenly um, uh, terminated or there's some uh, dispute about bonuses that are owed, why would they come all the way back to Ontario into Ottawa to, to, to file a lawsuit? Many of them are going to are going to sue where they where they're located and say, "Well, you knew I was living here, and you knew if things went went badly, this is where I was going to sue." You now wind up fighting a lawsuit in a jurisdiction you don't even work in. Uh, that is extremely frustrating to an employer. So, if you haven't taken steps through policy and contracts to protect yourself against that, you could find yourself in that situation. So. It really is just a, a question of making sure you've thought about these things um, and you're aware of it and you're getting advice where you're thinking to yourself, yeah, that something doesn't seem right here. I better I better check into this. Those those jurisdictional issues had never occurred to me, Jacques. That's just fascinating. I, I never thought of that. But of course, you know, many employees can be in far flung places in different provinces, uh, potentially south of the border. I that's uh, that's a really good Europe. one. I've, yes. I've got clients who have employees that are in Europe and, wow. and they're working in a you know seven hour different time zone and and, uh, and they've been over there for months. Okay. And, and for, for some people, that's going to be fine. For others, not so much. 
yeah, uh, underlying the importance why you, you need expert advice on, on, on these matters. Uh, Peter, we're going to bring you back in now. Uh, you, uh, we're going to look at uh, the second poll question we asked in advance to today's uh, viewers. And that, uh, that question was about whether people might want to live outside the national capital region. Uh, Tell us about that, Peter. Well, we wanted to take a look at the uh, the work from anywhere uh, trend from a slightly different perspective. And, uh, and what we asked was whether uh, employers would consider uh, hiring uh, an employee uh, who lives uh, outside the national capital region. I, I, I found the, these results fascinating, considering that, uh, that there are so many organizations who just by the nature of their business model require their employees to be, uh, you know, sort of on the ground uh, delivering, delivering services. And just, I guess, a bit of context as well as it's been suggested that this actually might be one of the the lasting impacts of the pandemic that uh, that uh, even once we're all vaccinated and everyone's uh, back uh, back to work that employers might be um, more willing to uh, to look further afield to find uh, the right uh, the right employee so so Jock, just to turn it back back to you and to put a bit of a, an employment law perspective on this do things change at all if i if I hire an employee knowing right off the bat that they're not living uh, here in Ottawa versus what we we're just talking about where I had hired the employee living in Ottawa and then they decide to move further afield? Without a doubt. Uh, unfortunately, this is um, uh, a, a very complex area of law. Um, it, what, it, what it can come down to is this area of law called the conflicts of law, which means if, if you've been hired uh, to do online marketing for a company that's in Ottawa and you uh, live in Philadelphia. Um, all the work that you're doing is for this company in, in Ottawa. That company in Ottawa uh, sells its products uh, in Asia. So now what, the, the relationship breaks down. Uh, this employee is unhappy. They, they, they believe they're owed money. They sue. The, the, their work product is is being mostly used in Asia. It's for a company that's located in Ottawa and they live in Philadelphia. Which law applies? So uh, unfortunately, that's not a situation that any of your viewers are ever going to want to have to call me or another lawyer about because it gets very expensive very quickly because it's extremely complex. Uh, uh, so you're, you, you can defend that, uh, at least protect yourself somewhat by ensuring that your employment agreements uh, at the front end uh, are clear as to what the parties view the legal relationship to be in terms of which jurisdiction dictates. But it doesn't end with, we all agree that Ontario law applies. It doesn't end there. Unfortunately, it gets much more complicated than that, depending on a whole bunch of other factors. But I would suggest in answer to your question, Peter, yes, if you hire someone in another jurisdiction, that's very different than you suddenly found out that your employee's been uh, working in France for the last six months and didn't even tell you, and now they want to see you in France. Uh, I would suggest that there's going to be a difference, but there's there's still complications under in, in any event. There are all sorts of fascinating issues that uh, that uh, that are arising from from this. Um, just a quick reminder to uh, to our viewers: there's already some great questions uh, popping up in the chat window. Uh, please do share what's uh, what's on your mind uh, in the, the the chat box. We'll be posing some of your uh, questions to uh, to Jock at the end of the uh, the broadcast. So, Mike, back over to you. All right, we're going to move on to uh, topic number three, which involves uh, a somewhat unfortunate topic: uh, temporary layoffs and. Um, Jacques, although we're hopefully, you know, emerging uh, from the pandemic uh, as vaccines roll out, um, it's a topsy-turvy world for uh, lots of businesses. Uh, we listen to groups like our Chamber of Commerce, Board of Trade, CFIB, saying that there will be a tremendous amount of, uh, of fallout as businesses 
close or scale back. So let's get uh, up-to-date advice. I think this is an area of employment law that has been evolving somewhat um, as the pandemic's unfolded. What, what should uh, employers know about temporary layoffs uh, rules? Yeah, I mean, uh, I, I hesitated whether to put uh, this topic uh, on the agenda, but uh, I've still got clients calling me uh, with these issues and uh, all of the lawyers at our firm um, at Eamon Herndon are, are getting these questions. And it's unfortunate, we, it, it, it's really hard to hear uh, our clients uh, having to engage in temporary layoffs because you know that means they're suffering as a business and that means that employees are suffering. So it's not good for anybody. Uh, but the temporary layoff provisions in the Employment Standards Act and uh, the principles that are contained in the common law around this area are very important. They are there. They are designed to allow employers to survive bumps in the road. Um, this isn't about permanent shutdowns. This is about temporary uh, uh, problems. And with talk of the third wave, a third wave coming uh, before we're all vaccinated and uh, herd immunity kicks in and all that stuff that they're talking about, um, it's just a reality that's something we might have to deal with. So. Um, again, I would start by urging employers to uh, to sit down and talk to employees and look for creative solutions before they jump immediately to this idea of temporary layoffs. So, uh, yes, you can avail yourself of these uh, provisions in the Employment Standards Act that allow you to do this. But if you can uh, get, get, get employees working from home. Uh, have employees work sharing, so so you get three employees and they all share, you know, two jobs. Um, reduce hours. Uh, asking about pay cuts. I mean, uh, I've got a, you know, all of us at Eamon Hearn have had a ton of calls from clients. Hey, can we impose pay cuts on people? Uh, impose? Probably not uh, from a legal, strict legal perspective. But can you sit down and say to somebody? Are you prepared to take a third, a thirty percent pay cut rather than being on temporarily off with with no income? Have that conversation, get creative, and communicate. Uh, but it is important to know that if th those things don't work, the Employment Standards Act does have temporary layoff provisions that permit employers to, I mean, the, the word that I hear a lot now, we've never heard before, was furlough employees. So you can basically say, look, I'm sorry, we don't have work for you. Um, we expect to have work for you in the future. Um, and and now, they're, now, they're, now they're going home. And it's there are lots of rules, a very complicated uh, set of rules under the Employment Standards Act around how this works. But understand uh, one thing to keep in mind is that there is a distinction between sending somebody home for 13 weeks versus sending somebody home for 35 weeks um, in terms of when that would be triggered as a temporary layoff and or when does it move into a permanent termination situation. Um, and that has to do with whether or not you're providing that employee with benefits or some sort of um, compensation or, or, or benefit of any kind while they were on temporary layoff. However, the 13-week, 35-week distinction has less importance at the moment because of the Ontario government's amendments to the Employment Standards Act that uh, uh, introduced this idea uh, of infectious disease emergency leave. So now... When, when you're laying somebody off for COVID-related reasons, uh, uh, you are entitled to put them on this leave, and now the temporary leave provisions don't apply under the Employment Standards Act, meaning under the Employment Standards Act, that employee can't turn around and claim constructive dismissal, say, hey, you're not allowed to send me home without pay. I'm coming after you for termination pay. They can't do that at the moment, and then that's been extended to July of this year. But it is important to understand that under the common law, if you send somebody home on a temporary layoff without pay, they can sue you for constructive dismissal under the common law. 
We haven't yet seen uh, cases, I think, that really will will uh, uh, provide a framework around how uh, courts will look at these in the future. There's lots of arguments on both sides, but employers need to be aware that the Employment Standards Act is one consideration. Common law, meaning those lawsuits that get to court, is another. And employees uh, have been uh, suing uh, employers for sending them home on temporary layoff. Uh, and that's just something that you need to be aware of as a risk. Um, but uh, you, you, employers have businesses to run. And I keep telling employers, you, you can't, you never want to pay someone to sit at home and do nothing because you're afraid of a lawsuit. Yeah. It just defeats the purpose. So yeah. you're just gonna, you're gonna. Sometimes you're gonna have to bite the bullet. You're gonna have to take some risks. And by and large, uh, employers have done that successfully and brought employees back and 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 gotten through these 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 challenging periods. But uh, anyway, that's that's just a, a few uh, a few points for people to consider uh, when they start thinking about uh, any temporary layoffs they might need to affect in the future. That's great. Great, uh, great uh, advice on that. Peter, we're going to bring you back and we're going to move to the interactive uh, part of today's broadcast. You've been watching the YouTube uh, live chat. Uh, what, what are people asking about? Well, the, the first question uh, goes goes back to our first topic uh, about bringing employees uh, back to, to the workplace. And the question was whether or not uh, an employee can uh, refuse to come back to work and continue to work from home if they're part of a, a high-risk group that, uh, that we've often heard about in public health discussions. So, for example, if they have an underlying health condition or if uh, perhaps they're older than, than 65, could they, um, do they have the right to, uh, to refuse to come back to work, Jock? Yeah, uh, currently they're, uh, they, they do not have the right to refuse that uh, unless there is a public health order that says somebody over 65 should not be in the workplace or there's a stay-at-home order. No one's allowed to be at work. Um, there's, not a, there's not a public health directive out there. Then uh, what's their basis, right? The basis would then have to be a human rights ground. It ha they'd have to be able to demonstrate that they have a disability that requires accommodation. And so uh, this is something that is, um, uh, I guess, yet to be explored from a, from a, uh, from a legal perspective. But uh, I always, when we, when we talk to our clients, um, uh, we are all advising our clients of this. If it's a disability under the Human Rights Code and they can meet that test, then you're going to have to accommodate it to the point of undue hardship. But if it's a preference, if it's a, a, an unfounded concern, um, then that's not something that is that they're entitled to seek accommodation for. But we're in the middle of a pandemic. Uh, you know, tragically, uh, as we know, the thousands and thousands have died in this country, and we all have to be sensitive about it. And I and I so what we what we tell our clients is before you say to somebody. I know you're 68 years old with diabetes, but if you don't come in tomorrow, I'm going to terminate you. Just think that through a little bit and, and ask yourself whether that's really what you need to do under these circumstances. So um, our next question uh, deals with uh, vaccinations. And, uh, and I do want to tease that uh, we're going to have uh, um, an upcoming discussion entirely devoted uh, to, to uh, vaccinations uh, in the uh, in, in the workplace. But um I'll just ask the question that one of our audience members uh, uh, posed. Is a mandatory vaccination policy legally enforceable? <laughs> that's the uh, that's the million dollar question. Um, 
And uh, as you rightly pointed out, uh, Peter, I, I, uh, uh, I think one of my colleagues will be presenting on that topic in the future, and it's going to be, I'm sure they'll devote the, the, the full time to that. Um, uh, unfortunately, and I know people hate when lawyers say this, but the answer is it depends. Um, and, and so it's a, it's a big open question at the moment. Um, but uh, And it's not a new question, by the way. And, I, you know, people should understand that um, the idea of vaccinations in certain co contexts has been around for a very long time. Uh, and whether you as a hospital, uh, can you can you require your nurses to, to, to take the flu shot, for example? Um, uh, when SARS hit, can you require uh, you know, people to do that? Um, uh, daycares and schools, uh, can, you, can you mandate that students and staff vaccinate themselves to prevent the spread? Of whatever it is, measles. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So this is not a new question. There is case law on it. The the, the biggest challenge I see right I see right now is the fact that the, that the COVID vaccine is brand new. It's uh, and, and so we're not talking about a vaccine that's been around for decades, uh, where the safety of that vaccine is no longer in dispute. There may be anti vaxxers out there who are uh, improperly uh, claiming uh, uh, health risks. Uh, it, we're dealing with a vaccine that is that is new and hasn't been around for years. And so people could argue that there is a legitimate reason why they shouldn't have to take it without knowing more. Anyway, these are all the things that remain to be seen. But suffice it to say, there are circumstances where we are recommending to employers that they do put into place mandatory vaccinations. Uh, but it is it is a uh, it's a it depends as to whether or not they, they'll, they'll be able to uh, enforce it. And it depends whether or not they are in a situation where they should be attempting to at this early stage. And for a final question, I want to uh, pick up on uh, something that you mentioned during our discussion around temporary layoffs. Uh, you mentioned, of, of course, that there are other options uh, available to, uh, to to employers. One of them is the uh, the, the work sharing uh, program. Can you just uh, just briefly tell us um, if uh, if an employer is curious about that, where should they start thinking about that? How how does that program work, and uh, and what are the options available to employers? Yeah, so the workshare program is something that I've uh, I've encouraged a lot of my clients to do, and I know other my colleagues at Even Herndon have also uh, been actively uh, putting together and structuring workshare programs for their clients. I haven't heard as much about it lately. I think probably because uh, the world right-sized a little bit over the last number of months, but it was a big topic of conversation early on in the pandemic. But uh, there's a lot of information online. Uh, Service Canada. It's you know it's basically a um, it's 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 a lot like EI. It functions like as an EI uh, type of program in the sense that you uh, you get to uh, share a job with somebody else and receive some additional benefits from the government in doing so, and you're not penalized. So typically, if you're on EI and you're receiving income from your employer, the EI will simply claw it back. So with the WorkShare program, it's a it's a way of formalizing it. So the government knows what you're doing, your employer knows that you're sharing with an employee, and everybody is on board in terms of what benefits everyone's receiving and how much people are getting paid. Um, so it's a it's 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 a, it can be a, it can be rather complicated. There's a there's a process. There's a big long form you have to fill out um, uh, uh, for Service Canada, and and uh, I, we've we've helped we've helped lots of clients fill out those forms and make sure your your application is is accepted. Uh, but it is a useful exercise to do. It just doesn't work for, for all employers. There's some jobs you just can't share. But it's amazing how, again, if you get creative, it is, it is amazing how many uh, of our clients have been successfully able to make that program work for them.
Great. Well, thank you so much for your insights, Jock. And Mike, back over to you. Well, it, listen, Jock, it's been a great uh, exploring all these topics. It, you know, it's worth repeating that we, you know, quite literally, we've only scratched the surface. And, and you know, whenever we, we get someone of your expertise, Jock, and put you on the hot seat like this and just start pitching questions with you, uh, I, I always appreciate the answer is, well, it depends, or it's very complex. <laughs> yeah, and you know what, I... I... No, I'm not going to apologize for it because here's the thing. I could sit up here and tell you, you can do this, you can do that, and you yeah. can do this. Uh, and then you go and do that, and it turns out very badly for you. <laughs> well, uh, it's not going to go very well for any of us. And, and and you know, if there were clear, easy answers, you know, frankly, you wouldn't need yeah. any of um, yeah. uh, and, and And you said it earlier, Michael, when you talked about the balancing act. Sure. This is nothing new. I mean, that's, that is why labor and employment lo lawyers exist because – uh, unless you are inundated with these issues day in and day out as an employer, you're not really going to appreciate uh, what the other side of the ledger looks like. Yeah. But judges and arbitrators and human rights tribunal uh, adjudicators, they, they, they do. They see both sides of the ledger. And, and so our job really is to help you see there's another side. There's a there's a legal principle. There's a statute. There's a um, there's a law that is going to uh, help guide you. Employers are very frustrated all the time about uh, what they see as very limiting, restrictive uh, legal uh, perimeter, uh, principles, and we get that. We get that. But if you get good advice, um, you can manage and navigate in that uh, area and and still successfully run your business and that's what we're that's 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 what we all want that's you know we always, we always say we're like doctors who want our, our patients to eat to eat their vegetables and stuff <laughs> we're exactly the same thing we want our we want all of our clients just to thrive and be successful so um how so uh, i think that you set it up perfectly how can people reach you uh, because they probably do have questions and and the strong recommendation here is phone an expert get some advice how can they reach you jock uh, well, uh, there's there's my there's my work number and my email, uh, and I, I would encourage anybody out there who who is who's an employer who who needs some guidance, uh, just start with an email. And, and I'll I, hey, look, we at Eamon Herndon, if we get an email or a phone call from an employer that doesn't need uh, our services and doesn't need yeah. to, to to pay those those fees, we'll, we'll tell them. Uh, but if we think you need the help, then we're, we're, we'll be there for you. Um, uh, so you know, please don't hesitate to reach out. Um, and uh, and as I said, you can just reach out and ask a question. Hey, do you think I need a lawyer? Here's my situation, and and yeah. we'll tell you whether you do or you don't. That's uh, awesome. But it's been a pleasure uh, uh, talking to everybody and, and to you, Michael, and to answer all these questions uh, through, uh, you know, what are what are some obviously some very challenging yeah. and very unique times. Yeah. Well, I'm going to bid you adieu, Jacques, and I'm going to sign off. Thanks for uh, the time today. My pleasure. Thank you. And thank you to all, all the listeners. And uh, li listen, everyone, as we're wrapping up, just to underline that Eamon Harnden is one of the uh, experts in our city on management side, employment and labor law. So if you're looking for uh, someone to connect with, there, there's a great uh, there's a great place to start. Um, uh, as we wrap up, I just want to encourage everyone to stay connected to the Ottawa Business Journal. We are living in, uh, you know, use the insert the term here, unprecedented, unprecedented times, unusual times, rapidly evolving times. One way you can stay up with local, up to date with local business news is visiting our website, obj.ca. You can do that uh, every day. It's being updated all the time with new content. I highly recommend 
that you subscribe to our weekday email newsletter. It's, that newsletter has existed, by the way, for about 20-something years. It's called OBJ uh, Today. OBJ Today, sent Monday to Friday. You can go to obj.ca and just click a link to sign up. You can follow us on social media. We have uh, about 44,000 people doing that these days. And since you're on uh, YouTube, I want to ask that you hit the red subscribe button on the bottom uh, right-hand side, and then do me another favor and click the little bell icon. Uh, and then that means you'll get notified as we update uh, either live or uh, pre-recorded uh, videos. And there's tons of video content. I think there's a thousand videos uh, speaking with local CEOs, uh, experts like Jacques Climby. So that's all the time we have for today. On behalf of uh, all my colleagues at the Ottawa Business, Business Journal, thanks for watching and uh, please stay connected. We'll have another show coming up this time next week that will continue our discussion of HR-related topics. Hope to see you, see you soon.